Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent, or a friend of the school. Or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the power of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. And I like to encourage parents in one thing, if your kids, if you're having a hard time with your kids, look at your kids as though they're good kids with bad habits. So your job as a parent is to help them change those habits. Our guest for this episode of Montrose Podcast is best-selling author and pediatrician, Dr. Meg Meeker. A leading authority on parenting, teens, and children's health, Dr. Meeker has been featured on the Today Show, NPR, and Psychology Today. And her most recent book is called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. Recently, Dr. Meg gave a talk for the Montrose community as part of the Life Compass Institute Speaker Series, sponsored by the Elizabeth Schickel Foundation. She joins us to talk more about that topic, the communication challenge, how parents can connect with teens. Well, and I think as parents, that's really, we need so much of that encouragement and that hopefulness that like you say, you know, parents really have what they need to do this job. Hmm. But sometimes I feel like if we're getting unsolicited advice, that's not the message that we might be getting. And so that encouragement and that hopefulness really makes a difference. And I feel like that's part of what makes you so accessible. You know, um, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Parents are getting, uh, whether they're seeking it or not, they're getting really bad parenting advice. Because a lot of the parenting advice they'll get on the internet, you know, people are trying to sell them something, they're trying to, um, you know, increase the population of listeners or, or um, followers. And this is a very, very difficult time for parents. But parents can handle it. You know, we've got screens, we've got COVID, we've got um, so many confusing messages out there about gender and sexuality and everything. And, you know, parents just sort of throw their hands up and say, I don't even know where to start. Not only that, I don't know if I can do this, even if I find the answer. And a lot of my message is, yes, you can do this. Don't let it be too complicated. Simplify what you're doing. Get the big stuff right. And don't worry, because there are a lot of um, competing messages out there. And some of them are really just going to take you down. So don't listen to them. Yeah, I think you're you're right in that it's easy to get overwhelmed. And it's a challenge to simplify things down to that level of what really can I do day to day, um, specifically with my teen or teens, um, to increase our communication, to make that better. You know, you don't have to fix the world to, right, exactly. to fix better with your teen. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, communication with teenagers is something that really trips a lot of parents up. And when teens don't want to communicate, parents take it very personally. 
And I think that's where the trouble comes because immediately if a teen goes to her room or <clears throat> doesn't want to be home much, the parent subconsciously or consciously goes, what am I doing wrong? She doesn't like me. You know, my friend's kids don't do this. Well, don't go down that path. You know, a lot of teenagers change their behavior because they're trying to figure out who they are. And a lot of this means pulling away from parents. There's a healthy amount of pulling away, but then of course there's a, some unhealthy. But what I find is most of the time when teenagers start to spend more time with friends or not want to talk to their parents as much, um, if parents can learn not to take it personally, it will really help continue that co um, communication with their with their kids because that's something that really trips us up is feeling like we're failing our kids when we're really not. Yeah, and like you said, that um, in your talk, you, you specifically said, don't take the snarkiness personally. And I thought, amen to that. I mean, I that triggers me faster oh. than anything else. Yeah. And so I think of like, if we could just have Dr. Meg on our shoulders telling us she still wants to talk to you, kind of don't, don't fall for the act that she's trying out on herself and on you right now. Exactly. Because, you know, we parents want so desperately to do very well by our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to be successful. We want them to enjoy opportunities that we give them. So whenever, whenever we see that things aren't going the way we want them to go, we immediately feel like we're failing our kids, but we're not, you know? Um, and so if, if we just sort of emotionally untangle ourselves from their behavior it gives us the advantage of really beginning to see what really is going on, which 99% of the time has nothing to do with us. And, and then to be able to say, okay, well, what can I do about that now? The other thing that I really like to encourage parents is our goal as parents is to raise a healthy 25-year-old. And people say, well, 25, that's so old. But we need to make sure that our kids' brain development is uh, matured. And that usually happens in the early 20s. So that means if you're having a tough time with your 14 or 16 year old, you're really in good shape because you either have 11 years or nine years to work it all out. So in other words, don't panic. You know, if, if your child is giving you a hard time at 16, you, you have plenty of time to sort of work that through because his or her story isn't completely written. So, but a lot of times I find parents that if their 16 or 17 year old isn't the person that they want them to be, um, they just panic. And again, don't panic because of that, because you've got, you've got some time yet to go. Well, I also, yeah, I'd like to build on what you're saying about not panicking is also what you underscored in your talk, which is you don't have to be perfect. Right. You, you can be good enough. You can come back from sort of flubbing something with your teen and say, Hey, I, I didn't handle that well, or whatever it is. You don't have to necessarily um, do it right all the time. And I think that's helpful too, because not only can we not give up on our kids, but we can't give up on ourselves and just say, oh, you know, I just don't get her and she doesn't get me. You know, it's like you can't give up at these points of a lot of tension. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. And I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, again, I think we, we want to give up because we feel like we're failing our kids, but we should never give up. And I think if you approach your child like 
they have every capability to be a great person, but they're developing some really bad habits like talking back or, you know, being snarky or slamming doors, whatever. It doesn't mean that your kid is a bad kid and that you should give up and you've lost the fight. No, you engage as the adult and say, you know, honey, you you developed some really bad habits that we need to change because they're not going to serve you well later in life. So we can't give up. Also, kids don't want us to be perfect. Kids want us to be moms and dads who love them. We affirm them. We're affectionate and we give them attention. Kids don't want, um, you know, us as parents to look a certain way or act a certain way or send them to, you know, a certain college or get them into a certain sport. They just want their parents to just love on them. And, and, and we forget that because we get so wound up in the stuff that we want to get them to do that we forget, you know, just get the big stuff right and love this child and discipline this child and get them out, keep them on a, the right path, but it's a wide path and they'll be fine. And again, yeah. it's all about just simplifying things because we parents make parenting so complicated. We do. Like one thing that's really stuck in my head since I heard your talk is this concept of when your teenager comes to you, just stop what you're doing, put everything down or power it down and look him or her in the eye, letting them know, sending a very clear signal. You know, it's like, I've turned off the radio. You're the one talking. Mm -hmm. Little things like that, I feel like are so powerful and they are kind of easy changes for us to make as parents, especially in COVID yeah. when <laughs> the lines between work and home are so blurred. Absolutely. Think of yourself. You've had a really hard day and you come in and your husband's sitting there um, or your child on a computer and they're typing, typing. You walk in the door and they go, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And they fold their laptop down. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel so important. I will tell you, I did a little experiment. It's so simple and it changed my marriage. Whenever my husband, if he came home after I did, no matter what I was doing, I stopped and I walked towards him at the door and I said, hey, how are you? It's a game changer because people don't want to be invisible and particularly children where they need their parents' attention um, and they need to know that you see them. If they walk through the kitchen and mom or dad pays no attention because they're texting somebody on the phone and the kids do that repeat. I mean, obviously you can't stop every time they walk in the kitchen, but if one out of five or four times you, you stop, you put your phone down and you look at them and say, hey, you know, um, I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, you want to, you know, just tell me how you are, whatever. It's a game changer. It is. I will tell you, parents are always talking about how do I get my kids to, dis to um, decrease screen time? Kids dislike parents being on screens more than parents dislike kids being on screens because a kid's identity is formed by watching a parent's behavior and getting clues about how that parent feels about them. Well, you can't pick up clues if mom or dad is sort of always detached because they're paying attention to something other than you. Right. Right. Another thing that struck me as incredibly 
practical and possibly a game changer, like you said, was looking for these opportunities to agree, to agree with your teenager. If, if he or she has an observation or perspective that you agree with saying, wow, I really like what you said there. That makes a lot of sense to me. There are so many times where we're disagreeing that it makes a difference if you stress the agreement times. Exactly. You know, a lot of kids do not want to, teenagers do not want to engage with their parents because they're anticipating, probably with good reason, that their parents are going to, no, 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 no. You know, you're not right. You're not right. Either verbally or by their, you know, body language. But if you can find something that you, uh, an observation or a comment that your teenager child can even be a young child that says that you agree with to make a point of going exactly you said, wow, you're right. How did you how did you learn that or how did you find that out or how did you come to that conclusion? If you just agree with your kids here and there and affirm their thinking um, and their belief system here and there. They will talk to you all day long because they don't want to talk to somebody that A, is not going to listen or B, that's going to constantly correct them and disagree with them. I wouldn't want to talk to that person. <laughs> so, you know, you wouldn't. But but we always think as parents, we need to correct and correct and correct. And, you know, that really comes to, to bite us. Um, so even if you disagree with your kids are saying, sometimes just don't respond. Just don't say, say, wow, thank you for giving me your, um, your viewpoint. And if you really don't like it, just swallow hard. (laughs) Yeah. And you can, and you can come back to that, um, that conversation later on. But if you don't respond the first time round in a week, your child's much more likely to revisit it. And maybe then you can respond. But if you respond in a negative way, right out the chute, they shut down. Right. And that can create, you know, the power struggles that can be so common. And another thing I really liked that you talked about was as the parent, you already have the power. You don't need to engage in power struggles. You're the parent. And so we don't need to sort of take the bait all the time. And you, you really stressed just catching yourself. Like you said, you know, bite your tongue a little (laughs) bit and get some perspective before you, you know, feel the need to have that teachable moment or, you know, I'm right and you're wrong, or I have more experience than you do. They really don't want to hear that. And it's not helpful. No, to them. It's not helpful to them at all. And I think you're exactly right. Kids, particularly strong-willed kids and smart kids know exactly how to bait their parents. And what they'll do is they'll bait you into a conversation where you'll launch into a power struggle. Um, you know, Susie, would you go up and make your bed before you go to school? I don't need to do that. Oh, yes, you need to do that. I'm the mom. Well, you can't make me. Yes, I can make you. And it escalates. Don't engage in that power struggle because you don't need to because she has to make her bed. And that, but you re, um, you know, you can say something like, you know, I don't like to make my bed either. As a matter of fact, I hate making my bed. But Sally, you know what happens if you don't make your bed um, before you go to school? Then you have to do those chores after school. And I don't want to have to make you do those. So why don't you just make your bed now? And I don't have to give you a consequence. So you you put it right back on the kid. But if you come into those disagreements as though you don't have to prove anything because you are the grown up, you are smarter, 
you know, wiser, you own everything, et cetera, et cetera. That really changes the dynamics of the argument. So if your child baits you and wants to get into the power struggle, I always say, put that duct tape over your mouth and refuse to go there. That will frustrate your child to no end, but they'll quickly learn this isn't working. I'm not going to do that. Right. My kids even start laughing now because they'll start saying something that might be really frustrating. Like, mom, can I do it in five minutes or whatever, when I've already given a reminder or something. And my thing, I literally have to put my hands in the prayer position in front of my mouth. (laughs) You know, and you, you have to be willing to negotiate with them a little bit, you know, as long as the thing gets done and as long as they're basically respecting you and, and, you know, and pulling their weight and doing, you know, what they need to do. You're right. But it is, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard. I mean, parenting is really hard, but I think that training yourself to not interject um, your thoughts and opinions at different times is really important because then when your kids are married and then they have children, um, the quickest way to not see those grandchildren ever is to start criticizing the way the parents, your daughter, son are parenting because they just, they just push away. So it's, it's really good training for us to sort of sit back and watch and take it in and only speak when we feel it's really, really important. Yeah. It's sort of never too early to start practicing that. No. Yeah. Well, another thing that um, we covered when you had your talk is choosing your time wisely. When you want to communicate with your kids, it might just not always be the time you think of as convenient or the first time you set eyes on each other after their school day. Um, And it really helped me think of a practical way of checking in differently with our, our kids. And, and especially because it's, you don't want someone always walking in on your conversation. So I, I liked what you said about checking in with kids at bedtime and it, it allows for a one-on-one, Hey, how are you doing? I know you have a big day tomorrow. Anything you need to remember, you know, it's a way of checking in, letting you know that you're there just for that person, nobody Mm -hmm. else. Um, and my husband and I have started taking it sort of like rounds. Exactly. (laughs) Do our rounds now. Exactly. Again, it's the gesture. It's the gee whiz, you know, mom or dad just kind of want to say hi or check in on me or, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, just give me a kiss or whatever. It means so much. And typically what, what happens is a day will go like this. The kids will come home from sports practice or school. They're exhausted. You know, it's 6 7 o'clock at night. You want to feed them. You say, how was your day? They go, rah, 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 rah. and then you say, and they say, okay, well, she doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not, I'm, I'm out. No, 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 no. Don't ask a child any questions the time they just walk in the house or even the first hour. They, they need that wind down time. They're they're really revved up. They're really tired. They may be discouraged about how practice or school went. They just need some chill time. So go to them during a relaxed time. And even if you go into bedtime and stand to the door or sit on the end of their bed and just say, hey, you know, how are you? I haven't caught up with you in a while. If they don't want to talk, that's okay. But come back a few days later and a few days later. I had a friend who was really having a tough time with his son. His son just 
kind of broke off a lot of communication. It was, he was really, really struggling. And so my friend would say, you know what, I've got a little bit of work to finish while you're doing your homework here at night. Can I just sit on your floor? And they didn't talk. And eventually after a few weeks, the sun began to open up. It's just that gesture that I want your company. I just want your company mm. for 10 minutes. And when somebody comes to you in a sincere manner and says, Mary, I just want your company. It kind of melts you. It really does. You really, you know, you want to be with me. And for a child, when, when a parent communicates that, and again, this takes 10 minutes. It, it really, really dramatically changes the, the dynamics of the parent-child relationship if you just kind of keep at it and keep at it. Of course, you don't want to be obnoxious and go in there and insist that they talk or go in every single night, but just even poking your head in the door and, you know, you know, like I said, just sit on the end of their bed or whatever. And, and teenagers, you have to be very respectful of touch because a lot of them, you know, boys with moms in particular and daughters with dads in particular, it's like, you know, you can come only so close. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> My son did this with me, but you, you, re you respect it. And then as they get older, you're allowed to hug them again. So, you know, just to not yeah. invade, just not cross boundaries that you find they're very uncomfortable with. But if you do those few things, it's the rare teenager or even young child who won't, um, who won't open up. Well, it makes a lot of sense because we all want to be people that other people yes. want to be around. And so you're giving that signal. Hey, I, I like your company. I want yeah. to be around you. And like you said, that's a very, it's a small thing, but it's, it's very impactful. And it's not a message that parents are taught to communicate very much because we we feel again as our job is to make sure that they're healthy that they're doing a good job that school is going well and we're focusing on the stuff that they do but we we forget the fact that really what they're created for and what we're created for is is a good relationship that has nothing to do with the stuff that we do it has everything to do with just being together and, and supporting each other and letting each other know that you're important to me. And, and those are the very simple ways that we can do it. I enjoy your company, which says to a child, wow, I'm, mom or dad thinks I'm a lot more than just my grades or my sports or piano or whatever. And you know they are, but they need to know they are. Yeah. And it, again, it's sometimes just the littlest of things, you know, hey, I'm going to the library. I yes. want to hop in the car. You know, it's, yeah. it's the littlest of things that just say, I want to include you. I, I want you around. Exactly. I love you. you know? exactly. I think kids, kids and adults are used to the language yes. of I love you. And, and hopefully we say that to each other a lot. But I like you. It's is very different. different, but, but kids need it. And I think one of the traps that we fall into as parents is, you know, having a difficult t time with our children or a child. And we say, I love you, but I can't, I just don't like you right now. Don't say that, you know, because the, the child hears you don't love me or like me because them, it doesn't mean yeah. what it means to you. It doesn't register in the same way. So it makes them feel I'm just a bad person because if my mom doesn't even like me, then who in the world would? Because she's the one that 
even if nobody else in the world will like me, it's, it has to be my mom. So there's nowhere to go from there. So be very, very careful when you say that, because it means something very, your kids hear something very different than what you're trying to say. Well, you were talking about boundaries. And I think there is a difference between towing the line on the boundaries that are, are good and healthy, right? Respecting another person's, you know, space and preferences and how you are in, you know, their room or whatever. But then there are boundaries that a kid might expect you to hold up, like the social media boundaries. And, and I think it's important as a parent to say, oh, no, <laughs> that is not a boundary I honor. We need to have our finger on the pulse of what our kids are doing and who they're talking to. We don't need to, to listen in on their conversations. We don't need to you know, necessarily read the emails, but we can't allow to live to a lot. We can't allow our kids to live in a secret world, a private world, because that gets very dangerous, particularly for really nice young girls who don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and say, no creepy guy you know, get off my social media. Um, and so that's where we right. need to be right around the edges. And we need to sort of set the rules. Here's who you can talk to. And here's who you can't. If you ever get a text from somebody like this, I want you to shut it down. And we give them boundaries, you can move within that that area. But but I need to know that you're still in that area. I don't need to know everything you're doing there, as long as you're safe. And um, because our kids are trying to grow up in a world that they really aren't ready to navigate. They don't have the cognitive ability at say 16 to know, gee whiz, if I send a picture to this person, they don't, they can't register that action A today results in consequence B um, in a week or three years. We can, but we can't. And that's where we need to stand guard for them. I'm sure you've had heard parents say this. I can trust my daughter at 15 or 17. She's a really good kid. And I say, whoa, because it's the really good kids that don't want to say no to people. They don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, they want to be kind to everybody. But those are the girls that get they get sucked in over their heads and they don't even realize they're in over their heads. Um, because again, they're, they're thinking like a 15 year old. You can only trust a 15 year old as a 15 year old. It doesn't mean you can trust them to, to think like a 25 year old. They can't. And I think that when parents have really solid, smart, well-adjusted kids, they, they um, believe that they're really cognitively and intellectually and even emotionally more mature than they are. So make sure you yeah. understand how a 15 year old thinks. Um, and, and then you'll respond better to them when on social media or internet or whatever, find places right. where you can, you know, trust them to do certain things, but certainly and say, I trust you, but you don't have to say what you trust them or you just say, I trust you, you're a great kid, but here are family rules about, you know, using social media. And that's another thing I just want to encourage parents to do. Make family rules around screens and family rules around something because kids want to be part of a group. They need to be part of the family. But if they feel that they're singled out and can't, um, 
um, and have rules that are separate from everybody else. It, it's kind of hard for them. And that's why I encourage parents, you know, if you're on the if you're on your social media five hours a day, you it's not really fair to act your, ask your kids to be on it one hour a day. You really have, have a, a, as a family need to come together and say, you know, this really isn't good for any of us. So we're going to help each other dial this down. Yeah, we did that. Um, that was another one of my little takeaways from your talk is we said, let's make, you know, Sundays before noon family yep. non-screen time and doing that together, like you said, sort of being all in it together as part of a team was so much more effective than sort of pointing fingers and making judgments. Well, let's look at your screen time or your screen. That was more like, Hey, you know, Sunday is a different kind of day for us anyway. This could be one exactly. way in which we make exactly. it and, and And you'll find as much as, you know, kids will hoot and holler and give you a hard time when you say, you you, you know, you need to be on your phone less or whatever. Um, once they get used to that, because everybody else in the house is get, getting used to it, they they start to see the benefit. They feel a little more relaxed. They feel like they don't constantly, constantly have to, you know, uh, be in and see what their friends are doing. They're going to miss out or something. And I think that once they begin to see the benefits of being off of it, um, it really helps. In the summertime, when our kids were growing up in the summertime, we would we would turn off television. I mean, we didn't have computers back then. But then the kids, the first two weeks of summer were horrible, horrible, because they'd, they'd fight. They, this, they didn't know what else to do. But once they got used to not having television, the rest of the summer was wonderful because they'd be outside and they'd do things together and play together. And as a matter of fact, when, when it came um, school time again, and we didn't allow much television anyway, they were not interested at all because they, 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 yeah. you know, it was, they developed an appetite for doing other things, for playing, for being outside and um, diminish their appetite for media. And so it does work if you're willing to just kind of bear with it and, and grunt it out. It really does. Kids really do see that there's a benefit in um, diminishing screen time, but you got to have a, um, you got to have a spine of steel to um, do well by your teenagers in a culture. That's just so noisy, auditory noise, visual noise, you know, it, 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 it can just overwhelm them. And it's almost like they live in a fight or flight mode all the time because there's so much going on around them. Yeah. But in order to kind of quiet that all down requires us to be tough for them because they're not going to like it when we first start to quiet that them down. But I guarantee that when they're a little bit older, they will be so grateful um, that you sort of pulled them out of living in crazy all the time. This isn't about me. This isn't about my failures. This isn't even really about this kid. It's about a developmental stage and it's not personal so we can get through. If we get in there and we think, I can't take this. No, none of my friends' kids ever act this way. I'm the worst mom, you know, in the school. Do, 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 do. Then it makes it so hard for us. So if you find yourself having a hard time gutting it out and your teenage daughter's throwing fits because you took her cell phone away, you say, look, this is, she's just a teenage kid. This is what happens when you take a phone away. It has nothing to do with me. It's just, 
it's just the way it is. And it will go away if I can stand strong um, because it does. Right. And again, if you're clear with that, that teenage daughter, you know, I told you I'm taking yep. your phone away and you can have it back on Sunday. So long as, you know, you do your part of the bargain, you know, and we stick to those healthy boundaries. Like you said, then everybody knows yes. where they stand. As kids get older, to whatever degree you can put the responsibility on their shoulders, it's best. For instance, um, I have a friend who has teen two teenage daughters and He's, he and his wife sat down. They said, here's the rules. You know, when you go out on a Friday night or a Saturday night, this is what we expect from you because we're going to trust you to be able to do that. You get home by 1030. Um, you don't drink. You don't do this and this and this. And if we find out you do those, here's the consequence. OK, your phone's taken away for two weeks, whatever. And right before the girls would go out on a Friday night, he would look at them and say, now, you know what we expect. When you come home, please don't have put me in a position where I need to take your phone away. So in other words, it's your choice. Right. So if you choose to, to break all those rules and come home drunk, well, that's what you did. It's I'm not the bad guy. You're the bad guy. Well, Dr. Meg, I so appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you uh, and to listen to your practical wisdom on parenting. When you wrapped up your presentation for the Montrose community, you really stressed, you know, you got this, you can do it. Any last thoughts for our podcast audience? You, mom or dad, are the most powerful person in your kid's life. And it doesn't matter what age they are. You know, they can be five or they can be 50. But you have the power because your child needs you to love them. You don't need your child to love you, but your child needs you to love them. So don't overcomplicate it. You know, don't worry about all the little things that, you know, it, just just get the big stuff right. Let your child know that you love them, you like them, you've got their back, you affirm them and give them attention. And then let the other stuff just, just kind of fall away because you can do this no matter what mistakes you might have made until you hear my voice right now. It doesn't matter. Your kids will forgive you and move on because they will always be linked to you with a very thick gold cord. You won't see it, but they feel it. So have a lot of confidence in that and just know you, you can do this. You've got your wiring. It's all there. Um, you can do this. So just be confident in that. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Meg. That's a message that we all need to hear. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with pediatrician and best-selling author, Dr. Meg Meeker. Please see resources related to Dr. Meeker's work on our website, montroseschool.org. And if you're considering Montrose for your daughter, please join us for our spring open house in May. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to donate to Montrose Podcast, your gift will go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep a Montrose education accessible. Thank you for doing your part to plant the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships. 
and ensure that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world.